the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Time passes, but the Bible is a testimony to the power of God to preserve His Word for us. Rulers come and go, the Bible remains. Critics come and go, the Bible remains. The same yesterday, today, and forever. Welcome to another edition of Study Verse by Verse with the teaching of Pastor Leighton Sheely. I'm Mike Trout, and this is an outreach of Church of the Highlands in San Bruno on the web at highlands.us. That's highlands.us. Pastor Leighton is at the beginning of a long series dealing with the doctrines of the church, and we end this week and this message in the series with a very important point. Now, why did the writers write these accounts? Some people think it was for fame and fortune and and political gain, but the facts don't suggest that notion. You see, Roman and Jewish leaders were desperately trying to silence the news of Jesus' death and resurrection. And the early Christians paid a high price for believing and sharing their faith. Tacitus was an official Roman historian. He was not a believer, nor was he Jewish, nor did he reside in the Middle East. He's considered one of the finest historians of Rome and wrote under the reign of Nero, who reigned between 54 AD and 68 AD. Nero had wanted to rebuild Rome, and so he burned it down in order to clear the way, and he arranged for the blame to be shifted to the Christians. The account was written by Roman historian Tacitus in his book Annals. He said, Therefore, to stop the rumor that he had set Rome on fire, he, that is, Emperor Nero, falsely charged with guilt and punished with the most fearful tortures, the persons commonly called Christians who were generally hated for their enormities. Enormities meant that the Christians of that time didn't join in the parties. Christus, the founder of that name, was put to death as a criminal by Pontius Pilate, procreator of Judea in the reign of Tiberius, But the pernicious superstition, repressed for a time, broke out yet again, not only through Judea, where the mischief originated, but through the city of Rome also. Accordingly, first, those who were arrested, who confessed they were Christians, next on their information, a vast multitude were convicted, not so much on the charge of burning the city as of hating the human race. Isn't it remarkable how much history tends to repeat itself, because recently Christians have Uh, been considered hate mongers. Uh, We hate other people. That's just not so. It's the same accusation that was made in the time of Nero. Well, the burning of Rome took place in 64 AD. That's less than 35 years after Jesus' death and resurrection. And Rome is 1,400 miles away from Jerusalem. And the historian said a vast multitude of believers were convicted And for this charge and conviction, many were sentenced to death. The historian continues, In their very deaths they were made the subjects of sport, for they were covered with the hides of wild beasts and worried to death by dogs. They were chased to death by dogs, or nailed to crosses, or set fire to, and when the day waned, burned to serve for the evening lights. 
Here's what Tacitus is saying. Less than 35 years after Jesus' death and resurrection, over a thousand miles away, thousands, vast multitudes were put to death in the most horrific manner imaginable. Why? Because they believed that Jesus Christ had died and rose again. Just like he promised he would. And just like the prophets foretold. And therefore he was who he claimed to be. And therefore what they believed and proclaimed was worth dying for. Today over a third of the population of the world claim to be Christian. And they base their faith and hope on the testimonies of these witnesses. Who gave their very life for what they bore witness of. They were not motivated by fame or fortune or political gain. And that men of God were moved by the Holy Spirit to write the very words of Scripture. You know, some people have varying thoughts about levels of inspiration. Some people think that it's inspired if somebody is just feeling really good one day and and gets inspired to write something about God. Or that God comes to someone and says, I want you to write something about me. It doesn't matter what, just something about me. Or that God comes to somebody and says, you know, I want you to write something. This is what I want you to write about. You can use your own words, but I want you to to write about this particular subject. We believe that the very words of Scripture were inspired by God. Why do we believe that? And the reason is because Jesus believed that. Jesus believed that the very words of Scripture were inspired by God. Let me give you an example from Matthew chapter 22. It's a fascinating passage. The Sadducees, who don't believe in life after death, are trying to trick Jesus. They come to Jesus and they give this uh, hypothetical question about this woman who's married seven times and then she dies. And the question is, is whose wife is she when they get to heaven? This is what Jesus said. Jesus answered them saying, you are wrong because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. He's talking to the religious teachers of the law and says, you guys don't know your scripture. For in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. And that's why at a wedding a preacher says, until death do you part. Because the living partner is no longer bound in marriage at death. They are free to remarry. And then Jesus continues correcting their misunderstanding concerning life after death. And as for the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was said to you by God? I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He is not God of the dead, but of the living. Now here he's quoting from Exodus chapter 3, which records the scene of Moses at the burning bush. It says in chapter 3, Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush, and he looked, and behold, the bush was not burning. He had was not consumed, and... And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. And then he said, Do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Remember that the purpose here is for Jesus to show that the Bible clearly teaches that there is life after death. In other words, that we don't cease to exist when we die. 
And he uses this passage from Exodus to make his point. And, and how does this passage apply? It applies because of one word. The word am. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You see, if Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who had lived and died 400 years early, had ceased to exist when they died, then God would have said, I was, past tense, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The fact that God said, I am, present tense, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, meant that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had not ceased to exist, even though they had died 400 years previous. Jesus believed not only the very words of Scripture inspired, but even the tense of a verb. Jesus said, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Everything, down to the smallest mark, will be accomplished. God has supernaturally preserved the Bible. There are some people who say, well, the Bible was hand-copied on parchment that couldn't have lasted more than a few years from generation to generation. What we have today must be based on something entirely different than what, what, what the people had 2,000 years ago. The Bible must have been corrupted over those thousand, a couple of thousand years. That's what some people believe. But in 1947, there were some scrolls that were discovered near the Dead Sea. And when the the scholars analyzed those, they found that the sources that are used for our translations are almost 100% identical to those scrolls that were sealed in those caves 2,000 years ago around the time of Christ. That is incredible. That is absolutely incredible. Dr. Josh McDowell said, the first book of the Bible was composed some 3,500 years ago. The last was completed nearly 2,000 years ago. The original manuscripts were all written on perishable materials and have long since disappeared. The thousands of copies we possess, however, accurately represent the original. The thousands of copies we possess. We have over 5,000 copies of the scriptures from the early centuries. In addition to that, we have almost 20,000 translations, copies of translations. If we didn't have that, the entire... New Testament could be reconstructed from the writings of the early church fathers. The thousands of copies we possess accurately represent the originals. In AD 303, the Roman Emperor Diocletian wrote an imperial letter ordering the destruction of all churches, the burning of all scriptures, and the loss of all civil civil liberties by all professing Christians. That did not stop the spread of Christianity or the proclamation of God's revelation in the Bible. Constantine, the Roman Emperor who succeeded Diocletian, converted to Christianity, and eventually ordered Eusebius to make 50 copies of the scriptures to be produced by the best scribes at government expense. Time passes, but the Bible is a testimony to the power of God to preserve His Word for us. Rulers come and go, the Bible remains. Critics come and go, the Bible remains. The Bible is the sole and final authority for faith and life, providing encouragement, guidance, comfort, and instruction for training in righteousness. You know, some may have been raised in churches where the traditions of the church were held in equal authority as with the Scripture. The problem is that church traditions are man-made and the Scriptures are God-made, and we should never consider anything that's man-made as being the equivalent of something that God has made. 
In other words, any so-called authority that might be in conflict with the word of God, it's God's word that wins. God's word is above the preaching of the preacher, the teaching of the teacher, the traditions of the church. It is a sole and final authority for training in righteousness. Righteousness is right standing before God. It's doing and, and thinking what's right in the sight of God. And the Bible is the final authority for guiding us into righteousness. Thy word, a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. The kind of guidance that we need every minute of every day. This is Study Verse by Verse, and we're in a series called Doctrines with Pastor Leighton Sheely. This was shared with the congregation a few years back, and we're returning to it at what feels like a very critical time in our history. I hope you are benefiting from the content. We'll join you again at this same time on Monday with more. If you'd like to know more about Church of the Highlands and this particular broadcast, you can find those details on the website highlands.us, Ministry and Worship are both continuing at Church of the Highlands, and the specifics are at highlands.us. I'm Mike Trout. Have a blessed rest of your day and a blessed weekend. And come back on Monday when we'll open the Word of God again and study verse by verse.